Well, those are good questions. And uh, it's really, really good to have you here. I want to welcome everybody at our Legacy Campus as well as everybody at Woodbridge and Song Creek and Richardson and Espanol, everybody online, uh, or even podcasting months later, however you're with us. So uh, we are in this series called One Question. It's actually the end of the series. It's been really fun because you've created the series with your questions. And it's, you know, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And today, the question we're asking um, is this question. It's about, and we had a lot, this, this happened a lot, about uh, sexual orientation. Um, why does God make people gay and then say that you can't be that way? And, and we had this question about sexual orientation lots of different ways, but this was the predominant way it was worded. And I know that even, you know, looking at it right now maybe creates some tension for you. You're like, well, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if I buy that. And I get that. It's a it's kind of a it's one of those questions. It's a kind of a loaded question, a dangerous question, um, kind of like when Christy and I were engaged and we were out on a date and um, and and I turned a, a good question into a dangerous question on the date. And what happened was she we were we were just driving and she said not overly serious, just a nice little romantic you know thing. She said, well, you know, we were just engaged. What would you have done if I had said no? And you know how I answered? I said, well, I would have been really sad for a while. I believe God would have helped me get through that. I probably would have met somebody else. Uh, we would have served God together joyfully our whole life. Um, that was an oops. Now, she handled it really well, but I didn't. It was kind of an adventure in missing the point. Right. And, and it was definitely an oops thing. Some of you are thinking, why are we listening to him? He's kind of stupid. And I understand that. But uh, but she married me. Right. And and so today we're going to we're going to look at a question that can easily become a dangerous question. Right. And so maybe, like I said, some of you are like, man, I don't know if I buy that first part. I don't know if I buy that second part. I don't even know how they all go together. And I don't know what I think. And so we're going to look at this through as best I can through a biblical grid. Just look at it through a biblical filter. And as we do, let me say a couple things before we start the journey. Uh, one is, since this is summer, school's out this week, let's just relax and, uh, with an issue that's really emotionally charged. And it, and it may be emotionally charged because uh, of your experience or your orientation or uh, you're, you, know, you just got really strong views or whatever. And maybe you know Jesus, maybe you don't. We all come at it from different perspectives. And so that's good. But right now, just in our hearts, if we're open, just say, God, would you just speak to me? And whatever that guy says, whatever. But I want you to speak to me today. And, and I, I want to listen to you and just give me ears to hear whatever you want me to hear, because I believe God has something for all of us uh, wherever we're coming from. Other thing I'd say is this, is that this talk more than most of my talks it's going to feel like kind of a meandering journey. We'll go from destination point to another destination point to another destination point. It's kind of like a summer road trip that hopefully some of us will take this summer. And there's nothing like going on a road trip. This is like one of those, you know, long summer road trips. And we'll have multiple stops. And, and at different stops, my guess is every one of us are going to find ourselves a little bit bothered, maybe even a little bit offended or maybe a lot offended. And... And if we just and, and you're not going to want to get back in the car and go on the rest of the trip, you're going to check out. And let me just ask you, all of us, 
to just hang with us through the whole trip. This is all going to a destination that I believe all of us will be glad that we were on the journey. All of us will be glad we're on the trip and different parts of the journey will kind of balance off others. Does that make sense? So let's just kind of like think about the totality, even though I know maybe even the first stop, you'd be like, ah, you know, and just again, just let's just relax and and see what God says. And it's okay to disagree with me, too. Um, What I'm doing is just the best I can looking at what God says about this particular topic. Uh, why does God make people gay and then say you can't be that way? So let's talk about it again. We'll just kind of push this through biblical lens. And here's the here's the first stop. And by the way, on family road trips, the way it worked in our home when our kids were growing up is every time we made a stop, like for gas or whatever, is you could go into the convenience store and everybody gets to have choose one thing. What's a Slurpee or Twizzlers or whatever. So if you're good, you can do that too. All right. So here we go. You can think about what you want. First stop. Is that God created us as sexual beings. Uh, That was his idea. And he designed sex to be profoundly good in a specific context. So God created sex and he knows how he designed it to be really good. And he wants it to be really good. And, and if you are not a Jesus follower, uh, not a Christian, you may wonder sometimes why Christians seem to be so uptight about sex. And I don't know that we should be uptight about it, but, you know, seem to be, man, you, you know, because in our culture, right, it's just, hey, it's your body. I mean, whatever you want to do, it's no big deal if you, you know, as long as you don't hurt somebody else and it's consensual and, and everybody, is, you know, then big deal, right? It's just sex. Yeah. We have a very casual attitude towards sex in our culture. Uh, Jesus doesn't have a casual attitude. He didn't have a casual attitude about sex. The Bible has a, a very elevated perspective about sex. The way the Bible talks about sex is that God created it to be good, just better than we think, much more profound than we think, much more powerful than we think. I'm not just blending two, two bodies together, but really two souls together. And therefore, it's something to, to be much more considerate about from a biblical perspective than we might think. In the Bible, from the very beginning, when God creates humanity, Adam and Eve, you know, he right away invented this relationship that we call marriage and said within this, you know, marriage uh, between a man and a woman and this lifelong committed relationship, the two becoming one flesh, that sex is designed for that. And when Jesus came on the scene, he was asked about sex and marriage and sexuality And here's what he said as he goes back to Genesis. And here's what Jesus affirms. And as a church, we're a Jesus following church. So it's good to know, well, what does Jesus say about sex? And here's what he says. He said, haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God is joined together Let no one separate. So what Jesus affirmed, going all the way back to Genesis, and this is consistent throughout the Bible, is that sex is to be enjoyed in the context of this relationship we call marriage, a lifelong commitment as part of that soul glue that glues those that commitment together between one man and one woman. Anything outside of that uh, would be. Uh, from a biblical perspective, outside of God's design, and therefore you could call it sinful or unwise or uh, away from what God uh, designed sex to be flourishing, anything outside that. Now, that actually includes a lot of things. That includes uh, just casual sex, you know, outside of marriage, just sort of hooking up with people and saying, hey, I can do whatever I want to do. It's my body and all that. 
That's true. It's just outside of what God designed, outside of his will for us. Uh, that includes affairs within marriage. That includes um, even Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount adds to that lust. And like pornography is certainly intentional lust. Pornography would be outside of that. Uh, that takes our sexual commitment away from that committed relationship called marriage or outside that. Um, right. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, polyamorous relationships now would be, you know, outside of that as well as same sex sex. I believe from what Jesus affirmed, it would be outside that um, outside of God's intended will for us. Now, I know as I say that uh, there's a number of people who are like, I don't know if I buy that. And I will say this, that there are Bible believing I mean, people who really take the Bible seriously, Christians who take the Bible seriously, who also disagree with what I just said about same-sex sex in the context of marriage. They'd say, well, uh, for two big reasons. Uh, One reason is that when you look at the prohibition passages in the Bible, there are seven big prohibition passages in the Bible about same-sex sex. sex. Um, They would say, well, when you look at those prohibition passages, they're actually prohibiting something that, that we're not... Uh, saying is the way to go, which means they would say monogamous, uh, married, same sex sex, that that's not what was going on in the Old Testament and New Testament. That was temple prostitution or uh, sex that was not consensual uh, with slaves and things like that. And uh, and that's what was prohibited. And I'd say, well, you know, I, I think that there's some truth to that. There is some contextual historical truth to that. However, the Bible is always prohibitive about same sex sex. It's never affirming of it. Um, I'd also another argument uh, is that people would say, well, Jesus never said no to same sex sex. He didn't prohibit that. And that's true. Jesus never talked about it. But what he did do, as we just talked about, is he talked about sex and he affirmed what sex is for. And as we just said, said sex is for is in the context of this relationship called marriage between one man and one woman in this lifelong commitment. And that's what he affirmed sex to be for. And as Jesus followers, our commitment is to say our discipline is to say, I'm going to bend to his better way. I'm going to follow what he him. I'm going to affirm what he affirms. And as a church, that's our commitment to is we'd say, you know what, we we believe that what Jesus calls us to is not just arbitrary, it actually has a design to it. He wants what's best for us. It, it actually is what leads to human flourishing. And and therefore, he's we're, even if we don't understand it, even if we don't like it, there's lots of things Jesus said like that, that we just say we're going to bend to him on that. And I also think that somehow in the mystery of marriage, the way God talks about it, the idea of two different becoming one new thing is an image uh, that the Bible uses of our relationship with God and our connection with him uh, in a way that uh, two sames becoming the same. It just uh, isn't doesn't illustrate. So all that to say is uh, the first stop on the journey. I know some people are already like, I went off. Just hang with us. Um, is that we believe uh, what Jesus affirms about sex is in the context of this uh, relationship called marriage between a man and a woman. The next stop is really important for us to understand, and that is we are all sexually broken and have strong inclinations away from God's design for sexuality. And the Bible is really clear about that. All the way back to the beginning, when you go to Genesis, you know, Genesis is the beginnings of God creating Adam and Eve. Remember, if you maybe heard about them, the first humans, and they're in the garden and they're married and they really have a great marriage, perfect marriage. And God, you know, God's first command to this married couple the first command to humanity is basically go have sex. It says be fruitful and multiply. 
And uh, just which means really just go have lots of sex. And Adam's like, okay, I'll obey God. You know, maybe Eve too. I don't know. But um, so that God, I mean, God wants us to be good, right? But then Genesis 3 happens. Now, Genesis 3 is really important. We've talked about that a good bit in this series. Genesis 3 is, if you know the story about temptation, right, and the snake and the serpent, and they choose sin. And, and when that happens, when mankind chooses sin, that changes everything, including marriage and sexuality. And marriage now is still good, but becomes really, really hard because of our sin nature. And sexuality becomes much more dangerous and much more damaging, potentially, not just good, also because of our sin nature. Meaning now all of us have a sin nature. All of us are born with a sin nature. All of us are born with very strong inclinations away from what God wants for us, away from God's design for sex. Meaning zero of us would naturally on our own move toward uh, this, what God wants for us, what Jesus affirms about sex and sexuality. Which is why the Bible talks a lot uh, about sexual purity. And all sexual purity is, is aligning to God's view of sex. And the Bible talks a lot about it because none of us would naturally drift that direction. For example, here's just one of those passages in 1 Thessalonians. It says God's will. You think, well, what's God's will in my sexuality? Well, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans do. Now, when he says pagans, that sounds offensive to us. Like maybe your grandmother, if she was religious, got mad at you sometimes, said, you pagan, you're acting like a pagan. And all that means in their culture, that wasn't offensive. then. it was just a non-church person, a person who doesn't follow Jesus. That's it. Like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Meaning Jesus points us to his this way of sexuality. But on our own, none of us will go there, which is why we have to we have this command. Make sure that you don't just do what you naturally would do like everybody else is doing. It's my body and do whatever I want. Instead, choose to be set apart. That's what holy means that hey, I'm going to I'm going to do what Jesus affirms. I'm going to that's sexual purity. None of us, though, will drift there in uh, Paul in uh, in first Corinthians says it really succinctly run from sexual sin. You know why? If we don't run from it, it's going to suck us in every time because none of us have a natural inclination to what God wants for us. And all of us are sexually broken and we can worry about other people and where they're coming from. But all we need to look at ourselves. All of us are sexually broken and have inclinations away from that. Um, I mean, that's certainly true for me, like everybody else. And I know some of you are like, well, no, you're a pastor. You don't even do sex <laughs> or whatever. Right. Pastors don't do that. Right. And uh, I have two kids. And uh, but then you think, well, yeah, but you don't have like bad, you know, sexual things going on or thoughts or inclinations. Uh, yeah, I do. And I know you're like, I don't even want to think about that. Why are you talking about that? I don't want to think about my pastor and sex. Stop it. You're ruining my whole life. I get that. But uh, so when I remember years ago when I was uh, uh, we just moved into our house, uh, just like 15 years ago, we moved into the house we're in now. And and I'm still one of those dinosaurs that has cable. Do you know any people like that? Uh, I'm one of those people like that. I haven't cut the cord yet. And so we were uh, getting cable and I was talking to the you know company and this lady I could tell was an older lady on the phone, really nice lady. And so we, you know, picking out the package, cable package and then talking about it. And uh, 
And she said, oh, well, with your package, you get free uh, premium channels, HBO, Cinemax, Showtime. I mean, everything you get all of that for free for six months. And uh, and I said, well, yeah, thank you. But I really don't want that. And so if you could just not do that, I don't want that, even though I know their printer controls. I just don't want any of that. And uh, and she said, well, you know, it's free, right? Why would you not want that? I said, well, because there's things on there that especially back then, even more than now, I think. But I don't know. But it said, I, I think um, I, I think there are things on there that I just don't need to watch. And I know that I would, you know, part of me would want to watch it. And I, you know, I don't so I just don't want that. And she said, um, are you a Christian? <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she said, well, this changes this phone call. I said, we're going to do church on this phone call. Is that okay with you? I said, sure. And she said, because right now I'm going to, we're not, I promise you, you you're not going to have that trash in your house. And I'm going to pray right now that Satan will not have dominion in your life on this area. And we're going to pray that God's going to keep you holy and God's going to keep you on track. And can I just pray right now? I'm like, sure. And uh, she would have anyway. And we prayed and it's like I hung up. and was like, wow, what just happened? But it was really cool. Um, I mean, there's a reason I have, you know, on all my devices, I have software that is accountability kind of software. And it goes to my accountability partner, Bruce Miller. And every Monday, it's one of the things we talk about. And he knows everywhere I go. And I know everywhere he goes because there's some bad neighborhoods out there. And you think, well, no, you're a pastor. You never want to go there. I don't. Uh-uh. Uh, I'm a sinful, sexually broken person who has an inclination, right? Like when Christy and I were dating. I guess she's here tonight. I should have probably asked her about this particular part of the talk. But, uh, you know, when we were dating and we were engaged, we were committed to saving sex until we got married. Was that my inclination? Uh, no, it was not. I wanted to have sex with her before we got married. I really did. Like, really did. But I have this commitment, right? And, and, and so we, you know, all I'm saying is all of us have inclinations and the right thing. But for some reason, in the American church, and I'm talking about conservative churches that have a conservative view of marriage and sexuality and all that, as as conservative churches, we've elevated the same sex attraction as something totally different than maybe what we struggle with in, you know, other sex attraction. Like it's somehow in this whole different category. So, man, you can, yeah, you can be in a church and maybe, oh, oh you have adult, you committed adultery. Well, oh man, you blew it, but that's okay. We're going to help you. Or, uh, so you sleep around every now and then, you know, nobody's perfect. Guys will be guys, girls will be girls. You know, okay. Yeah, I know you got a porn thing. We're going to help with that, but you're same sex attractive. Well, you can't be here. I mean, not at Chase Oaks, but in a lot of churches, that's the way it feels. And it's just really messed up. In fact, I, uh, I meet with a group. Um, and have been uh, for the last couple of years, every so often, of LGBT people at, uh, who are chase oakers. And they run the gamut. Some know Jesus, some don't. Um, some affirm what we believe Jesus teaches about sexuality and marriage and are committed to that. Some uh, say, I don't know if I buy that right now. And, and are, you know, and so we got the whole gamut there. And one of those meetings, I asked them, how many of you have been told by Christians at some point in your life that you're going to hell because you're gay or transgender. You know how many said yes? All of them, 100%. And how messed up is that? And it just reminds, okay, that, yeah, hey, all of us, you know, have, so, hey, do, um, maybe we can ask it this way. 
Are gay people born with desires and inclinations contrary to God's design? Yeah, but so are straight people. We're all in the same boat on this. And so let's not act, you know, we're all in the same boat here. And, and that's why the Bible commands, hey, work towards sexual purity, because that's not the way we're going to drift. We ready for the next stop? You guys have been pretty good. I'm going to throw out some Twizzlers. Um, these are kind of heavy, um, so be careful. Uh, somebody over here? I think I just hurt somebody. Sorry. I do love you. Um, good job. Share them with the people around you. So here's the next stop. You can disagree with what we believe to be God's design for sex and still belong here. And it's really important to us. Um, I mean, our commitment is to, as best we can, find out what Jesus affirms because we follow him and, and bend to that because we just trust it's better even if we don't understand it and we wouldn't make up the rules that way. That's what we do. And we're gonna, but it's okay to be here and not agree with that. And the reason is, is because this is Jesus's church. It's not my church. It's Jesus's church. He's the head of this church. And we want a church like if it's his church, we need to reflect his heart and the way he related to people who didn't quite agree with him yet. And we don't have to guess about that because the Bible tells us about that. Like, you know, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as he interacts with people and Jesus the Bible says in John one, we've talked about this a good bit, came full of grace and full of truth, meaning he never he didn't compromise truth and he didn't compromise grace. But the order is important. He always led with grace. He always led with welcome and in relationship, pointed people toward truth, pointing people to what better. And over time, they came around to that transformation. But grace precedes transformation. Grace precedes truth. That's what Paul says in Romans. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Repentance is just, I'm going to bend my life to what God says. The kindness of God is what leads to that. It's not that repentance leads to the kindness of God, but the kindness of God leads to repentance. I was reading devotionally in Luke this week, and I came across this passage. And what was interesting to me about this passage, well, I'll tell you later. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees, the religious people who thought they were so great, and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Because in that day, going into somebody's home and eating with them was a way of saying, hey, we're buds and, you know, we, we're all for each other and all that. And Jesus was fine with that. But notorious sinners. He said, now all of us are sinners. But every generation of humans, because we're so broken, chooses some to be like notorious sinners. And that day, it wasn't gay people or that they would have been like, really, that's weird. You know, for them, it was something else. It was prostitutes and tax collectors and something like that. And we think IRS agents, that's weird. But every group has their own thing. okay? and and for them, that was it. So Jesus, it was interesting because he always moved right toward the most notorious sinners on purpose because he wanted to demonstrate love and welcome to everybody because we're all sinners. Um, and, but what Luke 15 says is that they moved toward him, that he operated in a way that they kept seeking him out and he didn't push them away. Right. He was relating to them in a way said, yeah, come on. Um, and as a church, right, we feel it's very important to reflect the heart of Jesus because this is his church. And therefore, yeah, you, you can be here and on all kinds of issues, not agree with it. Like we have people here who don't know Jesus and who are kicking the tire. We have, even if you do know Jesus, say, I don't know if I believe that's fine. We're all messed up people on a journey trying to figure all this stuff out. We're all in the same boat. One of my favorite stories about that, it's a church story. 
And I can, I love telling it because I can brag on another church. It's actually not our church story. Um, this is a, a story of a church in Colorado that's very similar to our church. Some of you may have been to that church. If you lived in Colorado, it's called Flatirons Church. And uh, yeah, I've met some of you who are from there. And uh, you're like, oh, man, it's so great to find Chase Oaks because it reminds me of Flatirons and, and all that. And it is a very similar kind of church. But their slogan, their motto for years has been Me Too. Before Me Too became the Me Too movement associated with women and being mistreated and all that, it was Me Too, which is another way of saying all in the same boat. You struggle, Me Too, that kind of thing. And the way that happened was this. Years ago, uh, they were, uh, Jim Bergen, the pastor, had this guy on the stage uh, that was investigating Jesus and had been in their church. His name was Richard. And Richard just telling his story. And Richard is telling his story as a gay guy, how hard it's been to his spiritual search has been because his experience over the years is the last place he could go to find Jesus was church. Because as a gay person, when they found out he was gay, they would basically shun him or tell him, yeah, you can't be here. And so he thought church was the last place he could ever find Jesus. And then somebody invited him to Flatiron to, and, and the person said, hey, this is a place you can be. You don't have to agree with us. You don't have to know Jesus yet. You can like this. And if you never agree with us. It's okay. You're welcome here. We're all on a journey and we all come to God as we are. So come. So that they were telling the story and he was really close to, you know, choosing to believe in Jesus and begin a relationship with him. And so uh, Jim says at the end of his little story, says to the crowd with Richard there, he said, Hey, what I know for sure is that I sure love Richard and I sure him glad. I sure am glad he's here. And when he said that, about 30 people in the church spontaneously yelled out, me too. And, and, and Jim stops and he said, what did you say? And when he did that, the whole church, hundreds and hundreds of people, several thousand people, shouted the whole room. And I want us to do it, okay? Shout me too right now. Just say it. Me too. Me too. And Jim just like broke down, you know, and he's like, and, and so when you go to that church, you'll see these t-shirts everywhere that says me too. And he's just saying, Hey, you know what, man, we're all just broken people trying to figure it out. We don't have all the answers, but we're on this journey and Jesus loves us. And, and we're bending our life to him the best we can. And, and are you welcome on the journey? You bet. As long as you're a fellow struggler, then uh, not a perfect person. You're welcome to be here. Um, me too. Here's the next step on the journey. We all struggle sexually with God's design, but same-sex attraction is a uniquely challenging struggle. And as a church, we want to do a better job coming around that struggle. Um, I, I hope you know people who are gay or have gender differences, LGBT. Um, if you don't, it's kind of dangerous. It's, it is dangerous. Um, for me, when I talk about this, and, and I know some of you are LGBT, um, I'm talking about my friends and they all have stories and therefore I have compassion for my friends. Right. I, and because I know them, these, these are real people, real stories, but I always, you know, sometimes church people get upset because we talk about being accepting and, and cause we're a church that's not affirming of maybe a lifestyle, but welcoming to everybody and welcoming LGBT people are like, and so I have people come into my office and they'll say, well, you know, if you, uh, if you, you know, you kept talking about welcoming gay people into our church and these LGBT people, you know, if you, if you do that, you realize like, you know, they have an agenda and they want to take over. 
That's that's happened. This conversation's happened a lot. And I said, well, now what I do is I say, oh, that's interesting. I said, I, you know, I know about 50 or 60 gay people who are friends of mine or transgender people. It's just really interesting because I haven't run into that. Like none of them, zero of them have that agenda you're talking about. I know there are activists out there who have a big agenda, but I just don't know any people like that. And they don't want to change me. They don't want to change our church. They understand what we're about. And they're, you know, I just don't, I can't, it's hard for me to relate to that. And I said, but it's cool that God has obviously put a, an activistic LGBT person in your life uh, that, that you're talking about. So tell me about, because God loves that person too. So tell me about your friend who's, who's like that. Well, no, I mean, I, it's not a real person. I mean, I just think of a category, you know, like, well, you know what? Let's not talk until we're talking about people. Let's not talk about a category, right? Because people do that to us too, right? As Christians or evangelicals, that's not fair. And so we stereotype when it's not. So, and, and what you'll find is as you develop friendships, you won't have anxiety um, against people. You'll have anxiety for people. That's what compassion does. That's what compassion is. And so um, what does that mean then? Well, in a couple areas, it's really hard to be LGBT. Um, I mean, it doesn't mean you can't flourish and have a wonderful life, but it just in our culture, it's hard. So socially is one of those ways. It's really hard. Um, you know, my, my gay friends and transgender friends would say, man, I just don't know if I, I, I never know in any social setting what's going to happen. And so I'm always looking at eyes, you know, to see are they rejecting me or accepting me? Is this a safe place or a not safe place? Imagine going through life like that. Um, I met a, a young guy in our church, 19 years old, uh, just a couple weeks ago. Or he's 18 years old, about to be 19. And uh, he's a G and a T. Uh, he's gay and, and transgender and trying to figure that out. And, uh, and he said, you know, a lot of my friends who are LGBT hate church and think church hates them and, and are really angry about church. But he said, I, I don't have any of that. I mean, I, I've been at Chase Oaks, you know, and these years and working this out. And this is like my safe place to work through this stuff. Like I, I found people who've really supportive, just helping me think through what this means for me, what this looks like and how I make. And, uh, well, I love that conversation. Like, I don't want to say, well, no, it's not. So you better figure it out out there and then you can get right. I mean, that's messed up. And so we need to be more helpful on the social side as well as the sex side. Because if you buy what we say Jesus affirms about sexuality, that sex is designed for marriage between a man and a woman. Well, what does that mean if you're a same sex attracted person? It's, it means obedience is going to be costly obedience uh, when it comes to sex, because there's only a few options. Right. Uh, I do know people who are in a mixed orientation marriage, which you, that's a long story. You need to be upfront about that. A, a, a lesbian a girl who married a guy and. Um, who's straight and they have a home and, and wonderful, godly people and all that. Um, that is an option. There are, you know, some other things, but mainly, primarily, it's choosing to be celibate. Really, like any single person chooses to be, if you're going to follow Jesus, whether you're straight or gay. But if you're gay and choose celibacy, well, you're probably never going to meet somebody, right? So it's a, it's a whole thing. But in our culture, we've elevated sex so much, I think we make too much of it. It's like, well, nobody can live without sex. Nobody can flourish and be joyful without sex. Yes, you can. You know, Jesus is a pretty good example of that. Uh, he lived a full life as a single guy who was sexually pure. And, but here's the, here's the other reality of that. Is that sex is one thing, but intimacy is something else. I was talking to a, a Christian counselor 
who focuses on LGBT people. And he said this, a person can live without sex and flourish. Jesus showed us that a person, however, cannot live without intimacy and flourish. And that's true. Jesus showed us that, too. And earlier I said, hey, as a church, we need to come around this better. Intimacy, my, my, my gay friends who are Christ followers and say, okay, yeah, I'll bend to what I believe Jesus teaches about sexuality and all that. Their fear is not no sex. Their fear is no intimacy and being alone. And as a church, we can solve that if we're willing. Meaning rethink the way we do community. We rethink the way we do connection. Rethink the way we do family. But the problem is, especially in the church, but American culture in general is built around the nuclear family. Mom, dad, two and a half kids, the dog, the minivan with the stickers of everybody, even the dog on the back. You know, that's the way we do relationships and connections. And that leaves single people out. And that's a problem. And we think, well, that's just the way it is. That's the way God wants it. And I don't think so. When you look back at New Testament and what New Testament living was like, they lived in extended households, not just little nuclear families. They lived in extended households with multiple generations, with aunts and uncles and individuals and friends and all that just living in these. It was just very different. And, uh, and so I think we need to be open about doing things a little differently. In fact, to that end, I want us to hear from uh, from a, a friend of mine named Trent, uh, who's uh, one of those uh, people who have been helping me in that group uh, that I mentioned. And uh, just to just to help us begin to think differently about connection and community and how we can be helpful as a church. Let's watch the screen. Hello, my name is Trent Brown. I am a same sex attracted celibate Christian. Uh, I currently live in a, um, a house that uh, there's four celibate guys who are um, living in a life of singleness currently and uh, a widow who, um, you know, has a lot of the similar issues that she has to go through. Uh, but. You know, it's been um, amazing that we have been able to like come together under a shared uh, under a shared burden and need of community. I uh, I feel very blessed that the situation that I'm in is that I am in a community full of other people who are living in the gift of singleness currently. Uh, but unfortunately, that isn't the general consensus that I see in the uh, church currently. A lot of the churches um, that I've seen. You know, they go to people and they, they kind of demand a, they want you to go from gay to straight. They think that, you know, that, that is part of God's plan is from people to go from homosexual to heterosexual. And um, unfortunately, um, you know, God has called people from homosexual to holiness. He hasn't really called people from, from gay to straight necessarily. I mean, that might happen and that's great, but out of all the people that I've seen, that's a really low percentage of times that actually happens. Just because someone has gotten saved after, um, you know, after they've been saved doesn't mean that necessarily that they're going to end up in a relationship um, with a woman anytime soon. I think that um, what the church really needs right now is um, for God to raise up men and women who are ready to disciple those people who are um, coming to Christ. Uh, being able to have someone who shows a level of love where they open up their home and allow people to be a part of their family and to be able to experience life with them. Um, it's a much greater commitment than where, you know, taking someone in because they might be uh, struggling with various different sins. This is a type of commitment in which you, you know, you really are almost like taking people into your family and allowing them to be able to be a part of what you have. And so that really takes a level of, um, you know, discipleship and intimacy that might not be needed for a lot of other issues. 
Um, but I think that that would be the greatest thing that would be able to truly impact and change the LGBT community of people coming um, into the church is just having someone that says, hey, like, um, God has given me some unconditional love for you, and I want to be here for you and help you um, grow and know him, and I want to be for here for you whenever you have any questions, and I want to experience life with you, and I want you to be a part of, you know, my life. Uh, that, you know, I think is really lacking just because uh, it is that much of a level of more of a commitment to be able to make. Love that guy. He's such a great guy. And um, and I love what he, the kind of community they have in his house is way more than 99 percent of nuclear families will ever have. It's just a different way to live, different way to think. And it's really cool. Um, and all of us who if we have a nuclear family, we need to be open to just be what the Bible says. It's hospitality. We think, oh, that means have somebody for dinner every once in a while. The biblical picture of hospitality is way bigger than that. It's to open up our lives and open up our homes bigger. And, and we just need to be open to that with gay singles, straight singles, whatever uh, in our in our world. I'm really proud of my son, uh, Colin, and his wife, Kinsey. They live in Denver and one of their closest friends is a same-sex attracted believer um, and who's committed to, like uh, like Trent is, to celibacy and is afraid of being alone. And so they uh, have a house together. And, and uh, Paul's on the bottom floor and uh, Colin Kinsey on the top. And they do life together. And, do, and it's just beautiful. And we, need to be, we just need to be thinking bigger and better. We need to do better as a church when it comes to community. Uh, here's the next stop on our journey. You've hung with us. It's good. Same-sex attraction struggle for a Jesus follower is a hard struggle. If you, you know, like Trent, like we just said, but, and he's actually flourishing too, but hard struggles lead to a whole new level of flourishing. One thing underneath that question, why would God make people gay? Which I don't think God makes people gay, but because of Genesis 3, we've talked about that. But why would God make people gay and then say you can't be that way? Is underneath that is this idea that God would never want us to struggle. And that's not true. In a fallen world, we'll struggle, but God uses those struggles to move us from brokenness to whole. Uh, it's actually the deeper the struggle, the greater the opportunity to find Jesus. Here's what Paul said in Second Corinthians. He said, therefore, about himself, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, whatever that was, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's what Paul was saying. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. Some people believe because he was a single guy in a world where not many people were single guys. Some people believe that his thorn in the flesh was same sex attraction. I don't know because he doesn't say it was something that was really deep and it was some similar kind of deep struggle. And that's one of the deep ones. And he prays three times, God, take it away from me. And God says, no, not because God didn't love him, but because God did. He said, there's something I want for you that's better. And that is for my strength to be made perfect in your weakness. And, and in that struggle, Paul finds Jesus in such a deep way that we get Paul who writes most of the New Testament. It's similar to another guy in, a, in our modern world, a guy named Henry Nouwen, who uh, he died a while back. But 
Uh, in our generation, I would say, read a Henry Nowen book this summer. Put on your summer reading list. But of all the people in our generation, I, I would put him at the top of the list of people who are just profound spiritual guides for the rest of us. Uh, his books are just amazing. He had this deep, contagious relationship with God. But toward the end of his life, he revealed everybody. He'd been single his whole life, but he revealed that he, for his whole life, had lived as a same-sex attracted, celibate Christian. And that in that journey, he found Jesus in, in a really powerful way, which is made, what made Henry now and Henry now. And some of you have other deep struggles that have nothing to do with sex. And, and I know it's hard to be as, but those deep struggles are huge opportunities. And when it comes for those of you who are same sex attracted, I know it's a hard struggle, but I'm just going to beg you to lean into it and follow Jesus in it because we need more Henry Nowens. And our generation is not producing them. And I'll never be that. I mean, maybe that'll happen. Maybe I'll have a deeper struggle than I've experienced so far. But I've not experienced a deep enough struggle myself to be a Henry Nowen one day. Somebody like Trent, if you know Trent, you know that's a guy on his way. If he continues on the journey, he's on his way there. And I look forward to that. And he already is just really amazing guy. So we put all this together. And let me say this to all of us, right? We, we've been on this journey. Um, and we're going to end uh, with not another principle. We're going to end with an experience together. And I'm going to tie my shoe, too. I uh, like Mr. Rogers. But let me say that uh, um, some of you are like, who's that? Um, I know that for those of you who are LGBT, most of this talk has felt like me talking about you as if you're not in the room. You're like, hey, uh, you know, here. Um, and I'm sorry. Um, and the other thing I'd say is this is I love you. And we love you. And we're all just trying to figure this out. And our commitment is to love you like Jesus loves you. Our commitment is that, man, everybody's welcome here, whether you agree with what we believe Jesus teaches about sexuality or not, because we're all just broken people on this journey trying to figure out life. Um, I beg you, like I just said, man, I just hope you understand how valuable you are in our church, because as you meet Jesus and if you lean into this and, and follow him, you have a Henry Nowen kind of opportunity that most of us don't have. But regardless, we're just glad to be with you on the journey because we're all the same boat. We're just all on this journey together. In fact, with that in mind, we're going to participate in communion together. Communion is this thing that Jesus asked us to do. It's where we, uh, we have this juice like wine and it's not wine, but it's juice. It's another sermon and, uh, and bread broken up because Jesus uh, on at the last sub, the last time he spent with his disciples for the cross did this and said, man, I want you to remember this when you gather together. And it's a, it's a really important. God is uniquely present in this moment. It reminds us the the bread uh, of his body that was sacrificed for us, his blood, the, the juice that was spilled for us. It's a reminder of his sacrifice for us. And it's a reminder that at the cross, at the foot of the cross, we're all the same, no matter what our orientation or struggle or experience. It doesn't, we're all the same. We're just people who are deeply loved by God who are all strugglers and all trying to figure stuff out that God deeply loves and wants what's best for us. So much so that he gave everything for us. And you know that group I talked about earlier, the LGBT group, that they decided to, to start meeting and invite their friends. 
And, uh, and we did the first meeting a couple weeks ago. I haven't promoted it because I really want to protect it. But if you're LGBT, well, eventually we will promote it. But if you're LGBT uh, person, whether you know Jesus or not, or buy what we're talking about or not, then, and you would like to participate, just email me, jjones at chaseoaks.org, and I'll tell you when the next one is, when they plan it. But here is so, so cool. Here's what they decided to do. They're like, you know what? There's some things that make us all different in our LGBT journey and where we're at with Jesus and what we believe and everything. But one thing we realize is that the foot of the cross, we're all the same. And so what if we just met on a regular basis for prayer and worship together to pray for us, to pray for our friends, to pray for each other and just submit our life to Jesus because he's good and say, God, I don't even know what this means, but I just, in light of your sacrifice for me, I sacrifice everything for you, and I know you want what's best for me. And so I'm just going to submit to you, and then we'll see where Jesus takes us. And so it was beautiful, the first meeting. And I'm sitting there thinking, why isn't the whole church doing this? Why aren't all of us thinking that way? At the feet of Jesus, submitting our life to him, no matter what. I mean, and so let's do it together. That's what we get to do right now. I'm going to invite the ushers at whatever campus you're at to go ahead and start passing the elements around. Um, and make this time your time. Uh, anybody can participate if you want to honor God this way and meet with God this way. And um, the, we're not going to tell you when to take the bread or, or juice. We usually don't just because we want you to have the time that you need if you want to pray. And you can do it right away if you want or, uh, or on down the road. The band is going to uh, start playing a little bit and then they'll lead us in a, in a worship time together in a song. Um, but... Again, I just so appreciative that we're on this journey together and and at the feet of the cross. Again, we all get to express our commonality that we're all people who are just deeply loved uh, by Jesus. And and let's commit ourselves to him. And so I'm just going to invite you and just have your own time. God in prayer. And would you just kind of hang with us, too? It's I know some you like, oh, man, I want to go eat or whatever. Just. Just hang here because uh, it's distracting to people that this is really meaningful for, if you don't mind. Um, So in a little bit, uh, Ty and and the group will, or your worship leader will uh, lead us in some songs. But let's, let's be with God together.